It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us, for listening. You're each treasured and valued. You have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, we were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at uh, Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Monday to you, producer Steve. <laughs> Normally, you don't actually say that word that begins with an I... M, but, uh, yeah, well, okay, back at you. Happy Monday. Okay. Lots to do. This is a big, big week. And uh, so lots going on tomorrow, noon to 3 p.m. is this uh, election truth um, event rally down at the Capitol. It's from noon to 3. And uh, Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, who's also a candidate for Colorado Secretary of State, will be there. Uh, Sharona Bishop, America's mom. Uh, they're expecting Mike Lindell to attend. Uh, and talk, and there's going to be a, a whole list of speakers. It's a very tight, um, a tight program, but it'll be really great. And I would love to have you guys all join us. I'm going to be emceeing the event, and that is noon to three at the Capitol. And I think the weather's supposed to be pretty nice. Let me take a quick look at that. Steve, what does the weather look like for tomorrow? Well, while you were speaking, I did just that, and it uh, it's not as stellar as it was, say, Saturday, this past Saturday. Uh, true that. Okay, it's going to be a little windy, so yes. wear a coat. Do not wear let a that... coat and bring some gloves. Yeah, do not let that deter you. And they say it's going to be fifty-five. So yes, uh, for being outside for about three hours, uh, bring a hat, gloves, wear your coat. Make sure that you uh, dress warm for that. But uh, do join us. I mean, it's it's an okay day, but it's not like it was, as you say, on Saturday. Uh, but check out our website. That's Kim Munson M O N S O N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You'll get first look at all of our upcoming guests, most recent essays, our most recent podcasts. And you can email me at Kim at com as well and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Uh, for sure, do that. And thank you to all of you who support us. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, we are an independent voice. We purchase our airtime, which means that we have uh, editorial control on everything. And uh, we search for truth and clarity. By looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom, something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, socialism is not about free stuff. That's just the the carrot to get you to vote for it. Ultimately, socialism is the uh, gateway drug to communism. And, uh, and basically, government will control everything, either through socialism, is through rules, and regulations and taxes and of course communism the government just owns everything uh, and it's never compassionate my friends to take other people's rights their property their freedom or their livelihood via force whether with a weapon policy unpredictable and excessive taxation fear coercion government induced inflation or the uh, Davos elites wanting to control our lives none of that is compassionate Steve you know, I hope you're not looking for an argument here 
<laughs> and uh, so today's a big day. And that is, it is the men's NCAA finals. And uh, my team, the KU uh, University of Kansas Jayhawks, are in the finals as well as the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. So Rock Chalk Jayhawk, I attended uh, University of Kansas for one semester, but that's my claim that I can be a fan, Producer Steve. <laughs> okay, you, know, you, you covered the bases <laughs> legally. Uh, we cannot... Uh... Yeah, we cannot uh, take anything away from you there. So, so I was I was looking for uh, basketball coaches quotes, and there were a few of Bill Self's, who is the coach of KU. And then I thought, well, I'll go to Jimmy Valvano, and uh, yeah, he was the coach of North Carolina. So I thought, ah, I, I can't do that one because KU's playing UNC. So I went to John Wooden, who uh, American basketball coach. He won ten national championships. Over a 12-year span at UCLA, he was born in 1910. He died in 2010, and uh, he was an All-American guard at Purdue. And after stints as a high school coach and teacher, he took over as head basketball coach in UC- at UCLA in 1948. And he was the first person to be inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and a coach. And this is what he said: He said, "Champions never complain; they are too busy getting better." I love that, Steve. I'm sitting here chuckling because I'm thinking, what? No, no quotes from Bobby Knight, the the idiot who used to throw chairs out into the court. <laughs> but I'm any quote from him would probably include four letter words. So this was <laughs> and good. We want to stay. Yeah, we want to stay on the air. No, so. yeah, you found you, know a, <laughs> you found a good one there. Yeah, and uh, really just just a great and and you found a really great picture that you a uh, couple of photos that you sent over this morning. Yeah, I'm not sure the dates on those, but obviously uh, when he started uh, in in that reign of championships, Lou Alcindor, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as he's known today, was one of his players. And there's a picture in that particular period, so call it though, at the late 50s or, or so, early 60s. And then another picture taken many years later when, uh, you know, the, obviously they've both aged a bit. And mm-hmm. it's really touching that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is holding his hand. And obviously, I guess there was some award ceremony taken on a basketball court. But right. the, the two pictures side by side are just, you know, they really grab you. Well, uh, he really he really demanded a lot from his players. And that is why he won so many national championships and uh, again, that quote is, champions never complain. They are too busy getting better. And Rock Chalk Jayhawk, go KU. And a great place to, to watch the games is um, <clears throat> at Hooters Restaurants. And they have all kinds of specials. They have uh, takeout. And, um, and of course, you can watch the game there as well. They'll have it, I'm sure, on some of those big screen TVs. But they're a great sponsor of the show. And there's five locations, Lone Tree, Westminster, Aurora, Colorado Springs, and Loveland. And they also have their uh, burger special, and that is $11 Monday through Friday. And all kinds of great burgers, the Mushroom Swiss Burger, the Bacon Blue Burger, Southwest Burger, the Western Burger, Mac and Cheese Burger, and the Cali Burger. So be sure to check those out as well. <coughs> Let's see. Our quote for the, or excuse me, our bill of the day, and we will be talking more about this in the second segment. Or excuse me, the second hour uh, with Steve Ryder, because basically he was uh, a driving force behind this. And it's Senate Bill 22053. It's the Health Facility Visitation During Pandemic Bill. And basically it specifies 
that a patient admitted to a hospital for inpatient care and a resident of a nursing care facility or assisted living residence may have at least one visitor of the patient's or resident's choosing during the stay of residency. And Steve, this is a really important thing. It's amazing. During the early on, early on in the pandemic, Steve Ryder's wife, Elizabeth, was in the hospital. She did not have COVID, but they would not let him or their children, their two boys, come and visit her, nor her family, her mother, um, and she actually died alone. It was so cruel, Steve. The way that unfolded, she was, what, up here at Anschutz Center facility? I, I think so, yes. And they lived closer to Colorado Springs. And didn't it come down that he was on his way up here and the, the phone call came that, you know, she had just passed away? Well, yeah, and, and what had happened, and we'll talk more with in the second hour, but if I recall, they thought that she was going to get out. And then um, things turned for the worse. He was down in Colorado Springs. And I think they thought she was going to be released within the next few days. And then he got a call that she'd taken a turn for the worse. He gets in the car. He's driving up to Denver. And she passes away during that time. And, you know, when we talk about compassion, taking care of people, I mean, some of the stuff that happened early on in the pandemic was... um, beyond belief that you wouldn't even let people and the, and the other thing is and he'll t- again he'll talk about this is when he then went to um see her body there were people that were walking around on the floor without masks without all the stuff that they said that you had to have and so it's a rather remarkable story it's taken a long time to get to the point where we have this legislation and hats off to Senator Jerry Sonnenberg and Representative Ron Pelton. They're both Republicans for sponsor the being the primary sponsors on this bill. Hey, take a look at that. The, at least the way it's written here. D- does anything strike you right off the top of your head? Um, no. What, what's striking you? Well, the way it's written, it doesn't cost a dime. Everything we've oh. covered in the last how many weeks, there's a multi-million dollar price tag to it and i was like this one i mean they're going to post some rules they're going to change some regulation but i don't see you know where there's a huge cost tied to it well and it's just common sense it's amazing when we actually have to have legislation uh to legislate common sense but it is just common sense that we would have let people have their loved ones uh, in to visit them and there is still restrictions at some of these hospitals on how many visitors uh, who can come in, um, and and um, the PBIs, the Davos Group, they don't want to let go of this pandemic, all the control that they took on it. And uh, I think we'll try to get to a headline on that here in just a little bit. Yes, there's the, guess who, the, that one of those major villains, the World Health Organization, is trying their best to stay right in the middle of this thing and not, you know, not say that it's over. And also right. looking to the future. I know. And this is from the Epic Times by Joseph Mercola. <clears throat> it says, over the past two years, in the name of keeping everyone safe from infection, the globalists have ju- justified unprecedented attacks on democracy, civil liberties, and personal freedoms, including the right to choose your own medical treatment. Now the WHO, the World Health Organization, wants to make its uh, pandemic leadership permanent and to extend it into the healthcare systems of every nation. The negotiations of this treaty began March 3rd, 2022, as reported by The Pulse. It says, coming off the back of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
The World Health Organization is proposing a new pandemic treaty they're hoping will be accepted by enough member countries to become a reality by 2024. This would have us give up our sovereignty as a nation. And they have been actually working on these kinds of things for quite some time. Back in the 90s, I was on the board of uh, Lutheran Family Services. And one of the things that they did was adoptions, which I loved. But as I delved into the adoptions, first of all, the UN and the globalists really put up a bunch of barriers for American couples to um, adopt kids from, like, Africa. And I, I saw under underlying on this, Steve, I saw racism. They did not want white couples to, uh, to become parents for black children. And I thought, really? Here are people that want a child, and they um, would give this child a great life. But I realized that they, they really wanted to keep people separate. And that was, that was something that I, I was very frustrated about. But the other thing is, is they wanted to give up the power of American uh, United States adoptions and go under the Treaty for, of The Hague. And I looked at that, and once again, uh, it would let international um, organizations come into an America and look at our adoption agencies. And I thought, this is giving up our sovereignty. This was early on when I started to kind of see what was happening out there. And so there is this continued um, <clears throat> movement to try to take our, our American sovereignty. And I think we're all realizing that there's a big problem on this. But this treaty is something that we should not sign. But let's go to break. When we come back, we're going to have John Lott on. And he uh, is an expert in crime. And uh, he has uh, written an important piece in town hall regarding the uh, Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court. So let's go to break. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. And thank you to all of these great partners that I get to work with as well. Um, actually, I'm going to have John Lott at the bottom of the hour. And so I want to continue on this piece from the uh, Epic Times. It says, the chilling reason they won't declare the pandemic is over. And um, it says, the pandemic treaty is a direct threat to a nation's sovereignty to make decisions for itself and its citizens and would erode democracy everywhere. And as I mentioned in the last segment, this has been an effort 
really and since the early 90s and and it's really been the 80s i think when we started to see uh, the movement towards this uh, this globalist and i think was it 1992 steve when we did that podcast with dr jill i'd recommend that you check it out there's two different podcasts on the great reset i think it was 1991 or 1992 where the globalists met in um, brazil sao paulo brazil and i uh, had agenda 21 put that together now they're looking at agenda 2030 but that's where th- we started to have this whole movement on sustainability uh protecting the environment and they decided that that was that was the this this thing that they were going to use to try to gain more and more control over our lives and really to bring west the western nations to their knees specifically the united states and we have seen that where for example china still has third world status uh, so that they can, they're not, they don't have to adhere to all of these stringent rules regarding um, oil and gas development, our coal-fired plants, like we do. So common sense is like, wait a minute. These laws, all of it should be um, equal equity across the globe if we're going to, if we're really concerned about the environment. So we realize that's not really the case. It's all about power, Steve. Well, you know, that's the second time you've uttered the phrase common sense. And, I mean, people will chuckle sometimes because common sense is not so common. And that's a study unto itself. I'd like to know what happened to common sense. And things like this, you know, I'm just, this is very well written. Uh, He pipes up, um, the pandemic treaty is a direct threat to a nation's sovereignty to make decisions for itself and its citizens. And would erode democracy everywhere, which seems to be one of the goals of the people in Davos. Right. They want to bring, they want to have all, all of the control. And, uh, and, and that's so antithetical to the American idea. It's, but it is how it has always been with human nature. There have been, whether or not it's a, a king, a dictator, a czar, a pharaoh, um, thinking about Bill Federer, Throughout history, there's always been those at the top and then all the rest of everybody at the bottom. And so the unique thing about the American idea uh, with this idea that government would be limited, that people could pursue their life, liberty, and happiness, what happens is you get America and you get this big, broad, middle class where people can go after their hopes and dreams. And this, as, as we have seen, there has been an assault on the middle class uh, really for quite some time, but the pandemic really brought it out when the globalists basically said, and here in America, through the public health department, said, determined who was essential and who wasn't. Well, there's no equity in that. They, I'm using their words. There's no equity in in public health departments determining, determining who's essential and who's not. It's so to- uh, totally antithetical to the American idea, Steve. The way they're using the word equity, it's quickly becoming a four-letter word. Well, it is because uh, they're using the word equity to pick winners and losers. And, of course, they're the ones who want to pick the winners and losers. But I want to continue on just a little bit here, and then I also want to talk a little bit about uh, Disney. Um, It says, as noted by the Pulse, there are a number of things in the treaty that the people of the world need to consider before going down this path. In a featured video, the Pulse's Joe Martino interviews um, 
Shabnam Palesa Mohammed, a member of the steering committee of the World Council for Health, who points out that the treaty gives the WHO an inordinate, in, an inordinate amount of power to make decisions in sovereign countries as to how people live and how they deal with pandemics, from lockdowns to mandates over tre- to mandates over treatment. Steve, can you honestly believe that we would consider, uh, as bad as it's been in America, to actually give up our sovereign power on that? It says, in short, it would create a one-size-fits-all approach to disease without regard for all the varying situations found in individual countries. And this is something we already know doesn't work. The treaty is a direct threat to a nation's sovereignty to make decisions for itself and its citizens, and it would erode democracy everywhere. Then here's the next kicker. It says, at the same time, it would cost each member country millions of dollars to participate in this process. As explained by Mohammed, the treaty will need to go through a voting process of the World Health Assembly in 2023, and they need a majority for it to pass, and if passed, all, mem- all member countries will be bound by it. And it goes on to say that the treaty is invalid and unlawful. Another concern raised by Mohammed is that many countries don't even know about this treaty as of yet, and it's possible that the WHO, the World Health Organization, might try to push for earlier implementation than 2024, all without public participation or input. It is undemocratic, it is unconstitutional, and therefore it makes the treaty invalid and unlawful, she says. Boy, that pretty well nails it, Steve. You know, that's the kind of reporting I would expect from the Evoch Times. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of Epoch Times, I had a listener that reached out to me and said that um, it kind of gets under his skin when I say Epoch. And I responded back to him because it's been a back and forth. I'd asked Josh Phillip, who's with the Epic Times, about that. And I think he said Epoch is like the British or the Canadian pronunciation. And he, that's how he says it. But I told the listener that I'm actually going to go back to the American uh, pronunciation of Epic. Well, I'm, I'm ready for you on this one because the last time it came up, I went looking and I searched on both words and they have okay. the same definition. Okay. So, so I think I'm going to use Epic. I use Epic. You use Epoch. You know, I say tomato, you say tomato, whatever. Yeah. At any rate, I'm glad that you uh, clarified uh, which who you were talking about, not the musical group, but the World Health Organization. Yes, yes. So, hey, um, I want to get over to a couple of other headlines here because these are super important. And that this is from uh, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education. <clears throat> and it says, how, here's how DeSantis should revoke Disney World's privileges. Says Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been getting a lot of heat in recent weeks over the state's controversial "Don't Say Gay" bill. Now, first of all, my understanding is is that uh, that what they're saying is is we're not going to sexualize our little kids by in uh, kindergarten and up by talking about sex. I mean, basically, I think kindergartners, little kids, we want them to learn how to stand in line, to uh, ABCs, how to count. This agenda of sexualizing our children is not okay. So, so what we see, though, is Florida is passing legislation to prevent that. And then you've got the activists out there, uh, all the woke activists going after this. So it says, DeSantis signed the bill into law with a statement condemning the legislation, with a statement, um, hold, hold on, with a statement condemning the legislation. 
No, no, no. Here we go. Disney joined the fray on Monday, the same day DeSantis signed the bill into law with a statement condemning the legislation. But while the controversy surrounding the bill is what's been making headlines, a new controversy is brewing specifically with respect to Disney, and it centers on the legal structures surrounding Walt Disney World. On Wednesday, Florida uh, State Representative Spencer Roach tweeted that he has been discussing with fellow legislators the possibility of repealing the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which allows Disney World to be effectively self-governing and exempts the jurisdiction from many state laws specifically regarding land use. He says, if Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, Roach said, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. DeSantis himself weighed in on the proposed repeal during a press conference yesterday. He says, what I would say as a matter of first principle is I don't support special privileges in law just because a company is powerful and they've been able to wield a lot of power, DeSantis said. I think what has happened is there's a lot of these special privileges that are not justifiable, but because Disney has held so much sway, they were able to sustain a lot of special treatment over the years. This is an excellent piece in the Foundation for Economic Education. And it goes on to say that the, in, that not only sh, um, that Disney has flourished, basically, because they have had these special privileges and they don't have to uh, adhere to all these rules and regulations. And the bottom line from this piece from the Foundation for Economic Education is that if Disney was able to flourish because of fewer rules and regulations... Instead of just revoking those for Disney, perhaps what we should do is reduce the rules and regulations and taxes across the spectrum. And that actually could free people up to, I think, thrive and flourish. So I thought that was a really interesting take on that, Producer Steve. Well, you've been saying uh, quite frequently, and, and rightfully so, the veil is off. And when situations like this one pop up, it is very clear what the other side thinks and how Uh they think now ever since last fall as we were headed towards the uh, governor's election in virginia crt you know was a big deal and parents were going to school board meetings and they were making it clear what you know how they felt about what their kids were being taught and apparently this that mentality has leaked over into florida or you know i guess california We're, we're in the two major u.s disney nodes and it's like wait a minute, we, we have concerns and we're, we're not going to let kindergartners through third graders be exposed to this kind of stuff because it's just not the right time in life. Well, and, and some of this stuff I'm not sure is ever the, the real time in life. Um, my dad always said, when you see things, some things that you see, sometimes you cannot unsee them. And so that when we had Josh Phillip on, I guess that was just on Friday, he's been doing a lot of research on this. He's a senior investigative journalist with the Epic Times, and uh, he said that some of the stuff that they're trying to teach the kindergartners through third graders is so graphic. And so my my friends, uh, parents, grandparents, community members, we have got to step forward here, and we've got to protect our children from this. And I think that's why the conversation with John Lott in the next couple of segments is going to be so important because um, of the uh, uh, Supreme Court nominee Jackson of her stance on child pornography. And so we're going to have a conversation about that. Now, as you know, we now have our two hours. And the way this works is from six to eight, uh, we have uh, featured guests in both both segments. 
uh, the last segment of the second hour is our call-ins, and I want to hear what's on your radar. And that number is 303-477-5600. But then, as you know, we have rebroadcast. So the first hour is rebroadcast in the afternoon, 1 to 2. The second hour is rebroadcast in the evening, 10 to 11. And so just wanted to clarify that for all of you so that you know what we're doing with that. And, of course, then we've got the podcast on the website, uh, typically by the end of the day, each day. But uh, just to, to finish this out, uh, Tyler O'Neill from Fox News has reported that a silent majority of Disney employees support this Florida law that protects our children from sexualizing them and grooming them to be predator, um, grooming them to be victims of predators. And... Um, there is a Disney employee for Congress that has, has explained that. So, uh, And oh, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get over here to John Lott is the Daily Wire, which is the Andrew Claven, um, Michael Knowles, uh, Ben Shapiro, that whole group. Uh, they're doing pretty amazing stuff. And so they have decided that they are going to start to do programming for families. And uh, they're, they're stepping to the plate. It's going to cost a lot of money. But I find this extremely exciting, and I think this uh, this whole thing of uh, go woke, go broke may actually be most interesting because here we have the Daily Wire that's stepping in to compete with good family pro- programming, and we know that there's a real demand for that. So stay tuned. It's going to get real interesting. We're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, Kirsch Insurance Group is a great sponsor of, of the show. Uh, they are specialists in the Medicare arena. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything to work with them, uh, and they uh, they work with a lot of the different insurance carriers, so they can help you find the exact plan, the Medicare plan that will work for you. And so it's great to have them on your side of the table. Their website is iKirsch, that's I-K-I-R-S-C-H.com, iKirsch.com. We'll be right back with John Lott. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do that. I'm excited to have on the line with me John Lott. He's an American economist, political commentator, uh, protector of the Second Amendment. And he's uh, the author of the book, Gun Control Myths, How Politicians, the Media, and Botched Studies Have Twisted the Facts on Gun Control. And he's had a recent piece at Town Hall, Democrats Nominate a Soft-On-Crime Person 
for the Supreme Court. John Lott, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, we want to talk about um, the nominee for the Supreme Court, uh, Biden's nominee, uh, Judge Kentanji Brown-Jackson. And in this piece, you note that she is soft on crime. And we're realizing, John Lott, that after the summer of destruction, I would say, uh, everyday people really value safe communities, safe neighborhoods. And we've seen that the policies of the Biden administration has really been um, making our communities more dangerous. Uh, So now we're looking at the Supreme Court nominee. What do you think people should know about her? Well, uh, just some background. Uh, first of all, she's been a commissioner on the U.S. Sentencing Commission. I was actually, uh, the chief economist for the United States Sentencing Commission for a while. We didn't overlap. But, uh, you know, I can just say, uh, I've been around for a while. I've never heard people make some of the illogical arguments for, uh, for why there should be lighter sentences than she has made. So, for example, she was trying to explain why she was continually uh, giving below the minimum sentencing guidelines for child pornographers. And her explanation was, well, nowadays it was so easy to go and get child pornography because of the Internet and therefore, uh, we should uh, give them much lower penalties. Uh, here's the notion. If you should give lower penalties because, um, you know, it's easier to get child porn now with the Internet than it was with the mail, should we give people lower penalties if they figure out a better way of breaking the people's homes? Should we give smarter criminals who... Uh, who are better at doing their crimes, uh, lower penalties than dumb criminals are for the same crime. I would assume nobody would even think that that's remotely serious. But that's essentially what she's saying. If somebody could figure out a more effective way of breaking into people's homes, then we should give them a lower penalty. But that's not the way penalties have worked in the past. Uh, it's been related to the harm from the crime. And so if you uh, believe that uh, increased demand for child porn is what causes uh, more children to kind of be sucked into this because there are greater profits that are there, uh, then it's the amount of child porn that you demand that you're paying for that's creating the problem. And she even at one point in her testimony uh, made uh, acknowledged that point, but then she could never bring it around to the conclusion that the penalty should be related to the amount of child porn that was being purchased. And whether you buy 100 uh, pictures uh, over the Internet or whether you buy 100 pictures through the mail, uh, you're going to be doing the same damage that's going to be there by increasing the demand by paying for more pictures uh, than you would have gotten otherwise. And so, anyway, it just... Uh, but, you know, the other thing is, uh, it's not just child pornography, uh, rapists, others. Uh, she gave very low uh, penalties to, uh, you know, consistently. There's, there's not one case where she, you know, out of hundreds, where she gave 
uh, a greater penalty than the sentencing guidelines. Do judges deviate from the sentencing guidelines? Sure, they do. Uh, but it's usually for very unusual cases there that have something unusual about uh, the crime or the criminal that uh, that justify it. But, you know, uh, they may go low some, you know, once in a blue moon or go high once in a blue moon. But um, just continually, uh, consistently going below and never once going above, that's very unusual. And, you know, you look at the justification that the Biden administration made. They say, well, look, uh, Trump judges, uh, the nominees that Trump put up for the court who were confirmed, Almost a almost a dozen of them. I don't know exactly. Couldn't figure out whether it's eleven or ten or nine or whatever. Well, let's say it's eleven. First of all, Trump got two hundred and twenty-eight judges confirmed to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court and lower courts. That's uh, that means that it's less than four percent or so of his judges, and. and I suspect that almost all those cases are one case or so where they deviate below. They don't even mention that maybe they've also deviated high. But uh, uh, there's seven child pornography cases uh, where uh, Judge Jackson went uh, significantly below, in some cases more than half uh, below the uh, by the sentencing guidelines. And, you know, there are other ones, uh, child rapists, that she gave very low penalties to, uh, you know, like ha- less than half the minimum of the sentencing guidelines, who then went out and committed other crimes, uh, just like the one that they were being sentenced to. It's rather <clears throat> remarkable, John Lott. As I am watching this kind of big picture, what we've seen with our children, I realize our children are are really at risk. Uh, and uh, so, well, and we've talked about this with the the sex education that we're seeing <clears throat> in a number of different states. And as parents are realizing what that curriculum actually looks like, it looks to me, first of all, that we are grooming our children to be victims. And then I hadn't really thought about this whole child pornography industry over here, but uh, the fact that we're not protecting our children from that, we're, we're possibly grooming them to be victims. And then I was also thinking about the southern border. It's so porous, and we see children coming across the border that they're probably very possibly victims of, of uh, child pornography as well. I mean, we are really doing a disservice to our children and to actually have a Supreme Court nominee that is soft on this crime should be very concerning, I think, to all of us, John Lott. Well, you would think so. I mean, look, it's not a big shock to me to understand why uh, we've had this big increase in violent crime over the last couple of years. You've had large percentages of inmates being released from jails in prisons in many urban areas over half in some areas over two-thirds of the inmates have been released uh you have 
prosecutors in many uh, urban areas refusing to prosecute even violent uh, criminals. You've had police budgets being cut. You know, when when Biden went to New York City to go and give his uh, crime speech, his big violent crime speech that he gave, um, you know, you would hope he, he could have come from there and said, look, the New York City has cut its police budget by a billion dollars a year, one billion dollars a year. Okay, you have district attorneys here are refusing to prosecute violent criminals. Um, you've, you've had this bail policy where huge numbers of uh, people are being released without bail uh, and then going committing the same types of crimes. You know, if you have somebody who, um, let's say, uh, is going to be facing a long prison term and you release them, uh you know, what's the cost for them committing another crime? What are you going to do, give them a second life sentence or something? Uh, and it's the second life sentence, like the first one isn't going to stop them from committing the crime, but the second one will. And, uh, you know, it's just you don't have anything left to really punish them with uh, if they're already facing long sentences. You have, like, the guy uh, who drove his car uh killing, uh, you know, a half dozen people, wounding, like, uh, over 50 others in Wisconsin. Uh, he was already facing an attempted murder charge when uh, the district attorney there let him off with really minimal, tiny bail. Uh, he was facing multiple other uh, types of uh, penalties, too. The guy the guy was facing decades in, uh, in jail when uh, he drove his car. In fact, he was already uh, facing a, a situation where he had used his car to try to run over uh, the mother of his child. Um, uh, so he was already facing attempted vehicular murder uh, when he went out and killed all those other people with his car. So, I mean, you know, I, you can look at a place like Harris County, Texas, in Houston, where since uh, 2018, there have been 156 people who have committed murder who were released on uh, either no bail or low bail. Some of them had been uh, had already uh, been charged with murder, you know, and uh, and they were released on, on no bail or low bail. Uh, you know, it just it's it's crazy stuff. But yet now here's the big irony uh, during uh, Biden's. State of the Union address, you know, he's promising to be, uh, have, you know, secure the border and being tough on crime and not defunding the police and stuff. And yet then he goes and nominates uh, this woman for the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, he's is- forcing all these Democrats in the Senate, all of them who are unanimously going to vote to confirm her. And, and you know, after years of supporting uh, these weak on crime and and never criticizing these district attorneys or others out there. Um, you know, they don't go, they, they go and they vote again for, for somebody like this, uh, this nominee. It is rather remarkable. I'm talking with John Lott. Uh, about uh, Biden's Supreme Court nominee, uh, Judge Jackson. Uh, John is the author of Gun Control Ms. How Politicians, the Media, and Botch Studies 
have twisted the facts on gun control. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with John Lott. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan, while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure to check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And uh, just wanted to make sure and remind all of you, tomorrow, noon to 3, is the Colorado Election Truth Rally. And Mesa County Clerk and Recorder and candidate for Secretary of State Tina Peters uh, is one of the speakers, as well as uh, Sharona Bishop, who is America's mom. I get to emcee the event and uh, join us down at the Capitol. That's noon to 3 tomorrow. On the line with me is John Lott. And uh, he is, uh, he's an economist. He's, he's really been an expert uh, regarding our Second Amendment and protecting our Second Amendment. And he is the uh, author of the book, Gun Control Miss, How Politicians, the Media, and Botched Studies Have Twisted the Facts on Gun Control. John Lott, in the uh, last segment, you said that you were, I think, on the Sentencing Commission. Is that correct? No, it's Chief Economist for the United States Sentencing Commission. Okay, Chief Economist. What is the Sentencing uh, Commission exactly, John? Uh, The Sentencing Commission sets the guidelines, the rules that judges are supposed to follow for sentencing. So, um, you know, let's say you go and you make... um, $250 $250 in uh, illegal gains from insider trading. The sentencing guidelines will say you'll face uh, four to 10 months in prison. If you make $500, uh, you're supposed to face uh, six to 12 months and so on like that. And uh, what if you're Nancy uh, Pelosi's husband and he's doing insider trading? Oh, that's right. The rules are different for them. I forgot. <laughs> So, right. anyway, I digress well, on that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the point of the sentencing guidelines was to try to create uniformity for two people who commit the same crime. So, it, um, you know, so whether it's Nancy Pelosi's husband or somebody else, uh, the concern was 
uh, in the past, before you had the sentencing guidelines, you might have one judge, like uh, Judge Jackson, who would be very lenient on, on criminals, and somebody else who would be very tough. And uh, and so the role of the guidelines was to try to make it so it wasn't just some arbitrary thing about which judge you happened to, you know, uh, have the luck of the draw to get. Well, that probably makes sense, but yet a judge should also have the um, latitude because I imagine things are different. You might have a real hardened criminal uh, against maybe somebody that made made a mistake. I don't know. It seems like they should also have that that latitude. Correct, well, they, John? Well, I mean, the guidelines base your penalty not just on the crime that you're doing, but also your criminal history. So if you okay. have if you're a hardened criminal and you have you know X number of convictions in the past, uh, then you're going to face a longer prison sentence than if this is your first offense. Uh, so the guidelines try to do that. But look, judges aren't forced to have to do this. They are allowed deviations from the guidelines. It's just that they're supposed to be for unusual circumstances that the guidelines haven't already uh, anticipated. You know, they try to go and take into account things like what's your criminal history, for example, that you're bringing up. Uh, and there are other factors that can add on, you know, if it's if there's some aggravating circumstances or things that uh, you can take into account that would ameliorate the harm that was done, then, you know, you can either increase or decrease the the penalty that's there. But they try to, uh, you know, uh, about half the members of the commissioners are, are judges who have to go and deal with these things, and others are experts in different areas of sentencing. And they try to take those types of things into account, but it, they it's they take it they have most of the types of things that you could think about are are included in the sentencing guidelines. But every once in a while, there's something that they can't anticipate, and judges have that option then to try to deviate. But even even if they do, judges can still deviate. It's just that. Um, they're not supposed to deviate a lot from it or often. And uh, Judge Jackson uh, has has consistently, more than other judges, uh, shown a deviation below, below, and never once, never once deviating above uh, the guidelines. So is it just that she has virtually all of her cases? I mean, she has seven child pornography cases where she went well below the minimum of the sentencing guidelines. So, you know, um, that, that is such of such great concern to me, John Lott, because children are so vulnerable. We need to make sure that we're protect, protecting them. And uh, so the fact that she deviated below seven times on child pornography is of great concern, and the fact that uh, Biden wants to put her on the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, we have maybe ju- we have just a few minutes left. My question is why? Here we have uh, the um, our, our communities are becoming more dangerous, and we have the why. Why are they doing this and putting criminals back on the streets? Well, over here on the other side, trying to um, put in new laws that make it more difficult for 
everyday hardworking Americans to own their firearms, to buy ammunition, to protect themselves. What's the why on this, John Lott? Uh, well, I mean, you're bringing up an important point. I mean, here you have at the same time, uh, they make it difficult for law enforcement to do its job. And surely uh, the Biden administration is is trying to put in lots of consent decrees and other things to restrict how police can do their job. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned before, Biden, you will search in vain for Biden to actually criticize uh, these uh, Democratic district attorneys around the country who are refusing to prosecute violent criminals. Uh, you will search in vain for looking to find Biden criticizing these uh, bail reforms that are there. You know, you'll search in vain for, you know, him dealing with things, even mentioning uh, the massive release of prisoners from jails and prisons around the country. Uh he won't do it. When he went to New York in February with his big uh, violent crime speech, um, you know, he he couldn't even criticize them for the $1 billion a year cut that they made in the police budget. Um, and then he goes out there and talks only about gun control. Uh, you know, few people know that nine, over 92% of violent crime has nothing to do with guns, has has no involvement with guns in any way. And, you know, you have 92% of violent crime that he doesn't even talk about. And and I think even uh, less than 8% when he does focus. So even when he mentioned police in that, in that talk, uh, he mentioned police only in terms of their role of enforcing gun control laws. If you want to reduce gun violence, you do it in the same way that you go and re- reduce any type of violent crime, and that is uh, you make it risky and costly for criminals to go and commit crimes. Uh, you know, the greater uh, the expected penalty that they're going to face, the less crime that you're going to do. And all these things, including putting somebody like Judge Jackson on the court, uh, works to do the opposite. I mean, she's going to have a big impact over time on criminal sentencing when she's on the Supreme Court. It is just rather remarkable to me that the radical activists that have taken over the Democrat Party, we see everything playing out here in the Biden administration, that they seem to to um, stand for the criminals or the predators versus the, the victims, and it is just a, rather astounding. We've got just a minute left, John Lott. How would you like to button this up? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, but you have a, a situation here that seems obvious. It's not rocket science to people to understand why violent crime has increased. Uh, and uh, the Biden administration and Unfortunately, Senate Democrats and others are refusing to go and deal with this at all. You have, they're all, all, every one of the Senate Democrats is going to vote for uh, Judge Jackson to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. And, you know, at some point, you know, Biden, uh, during his State of the Union address, talked about securing the border and talked about, uh, you know, backing the police. Well, you know, uh, you got to actually follow through 
and do Ab- something. Instead, Ab- at the border, uh, he's uh, he's adopted new rules in the last few days that uh, Ab- are going to mean a huge additional flood on top of the record numbers that we're already getting. It is remarkable. John Lott, I so appreciate you joining us. And again, that's John Lott, the author of Gun Control Myths, How Politicians, the Media, and Botched Studies Have Twisted the Facts on Gun Control. So our quote for today is from John Wooden. He says, when you improve a little each day, eventually big things occur. When you improve conditioning a little each day, eventually you have a big improvement in conditioning. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but eventually a big gain is made. So don't look for the big, quick improvement. Seek the small improvements one day at a time. That's the only way it happens, and when it happens, it lasts. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I thank each and every one of you for listening. You're each treasured, valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. We were made for this moment, my friends. And uh, thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Jen, Echo, Charlie, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy day after Sunday, day before Tuesday, producer Steve. I'll go ahead and say it. You already said it. Happy in the, Monday. Yeah, in the happy first. Happy Monday. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, happy Monday to you. And uh, boy, this is this is a really big week. Uh, tomorrow night, or excuse me, tomorrow afternoon, noon to three, there's this big election uh, truth event, a truth rally down at the Capitol. It's from noon to three. Amazing speakers, Mesa County Clerk and Recorder and candidate for Colorado Secretary of State, Tina Peters will present as well as Sharona Bishop, America's mom, and a number of other great speakers. That's noon to three down at the Capitol. I guess it's going to be a little windy, but uh, the temperature is supposed to be a high of 55. But uh, wear a, bring a hat, bring some gloves, but join us. I get to be the MC for the event, and that is tomorrow at the Capitol, noon to three. So that's a big thing. And then the Republican State Assembly is this uh, Saturday down in Colorado Springs. And so that's a big deal. We'll see who makes it through the assembly to get onto the primary ballot. And there's two ways that candidates can get onto the ballot. One is by petitioning on where they get a whole bunch of signatures, uh, valid signatures to get onto the ballot. The other is through this assembly process. And some of the candidates are going to do both uh, to try to assure that they get onto the ballot. But this is a big thing this uh, weekend down in Colorado Springs. 
And then <clears throat> on um, on sa- uh, Saturday night, I have the great honor to uh, be the MC for this great event for the U.S. MC Memorial Foundation. And it's a dinner at the Denver Country Club, and General John Allen is the keynote speaker. And I think they still have a $5,000 table left uh, for sponsors, and uh, they get all kinds of great recognition for doing that and some special things. And so for more information about the event, go to info at usmcmemorialfoundation.org. That's info at usmcmemorialfoundation.org. So it is a big week, Producer Steve. Yeah, and I have no doubt, though, that you'll be the jet age grandma and you'll you'll cover the bases. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. That I'm working hard on that. Uh, tonight is the another big thing is the NCAA men's finals, and the KU Jayhawks, University of Kansas Jayhawks, will be playing the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And uh, I am a, a Jayhawks fan, and so I thought for our quote of the day, I would go to. Uh, just a real famous coach, and that is John Wooden. And he was an American basketball coach. Uh, he won 10 national championships over a 12-year span at UCLA. What a fun time that would have been to be a UCLA fan. But uh, John Wooden was an All-American guard at Purdue University. After stints as a high school coach and teacher, he took over as head basketball coach at UCLA in 1948. He led the Bruins to a record national 10 championships, as I mentioned and he was the first person to be inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and a coach. He was born in 1910. He died in 2010. And this is what he said. He said, champions never complain. They are too busy getting better. I love that, Steve. Well, the fact that he won 10 championships, did you say? I did. It certainly bears that out. I mean, uh, after the first one, they didn't just sit back and, oh, that was nice. They were working on getting better. Yes, and the di- discipline that he taught those guys is just amazing. And, and these are these quotes. Uh, it's it's really a fun thing as I go through and look for quotes of the day. It's so inspirational. I I actually can go down a rabbit hole. I will be reading all kinds of different quotes, and they're all inspirational. And maybe get off of social media, but maybe turn TV off and look at some of these inspirational quotes. But that's the reason that we do those every day. And check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Socialism ultimately comes down to force because it's a bad idea. And bad ideas have to use force. But uh, socialism... The free stuff is just the carrots to get you to vote for that. My friends, remember, it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, property, freedom, or livelihood via force, whether with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, um, government-induced inflation, or the globalist view of how you should live your life. How's that, Steve? I'm getting closer to what we're going to say for that last one. Yes, uh, disconnected, elitist... Uh, globalist. globalist people, yes. Yes, and thinking they should tell you how to live your life. Uh, let's see here. Our, our uh, bill of the day, we're really going to go t- through that in depth with Steve Ryder uh, because uh, basically it, he's. I think he's kind of the driving force behind it. Thank you to uh, the uh, Senator J- Jerry Sonnenberg and Representative Rod Pelton for sponsoring that. But we're going to talk with Steve Ryder 
in the next two segments uh, about this particular bill. It's concerning visitation rights at healthcare facilities. And it, it uh, comes from a, his own personal experience. And so you won't want to miss that. The last uh, uh, segment of the day, and that's about 746 to about 755, is our call-in time. And I want to hear what's on your radar. Certainly, we've uh, had some very important topics with John Lott in the first segment, uh, or first hour, and then, of course, with Steve here. And also to clarify for all of you, we've added on the second hour, we're live 6 to 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, they uh, KLZ plays the first hour, replays it, Encore broadcast, 1 to 2 in the afternoon, and the second hour uh, is rebroadcast uh, 10 to 11 at night. And then again, call-ins, this last segment of this show, that's 303-477-5600. Did just want to make a couple of um, comments, and that is this whole thing with Disney going woke. Uh, quite frankly, I think that we want, most parents would like to have kid-friendly um, entertainment for their, their kids, something that they can trust, that there's not all these uh, subtle messages and non-subtle messages regarding the agendas of uh, CRT, which is defining some kids as oppressors and some kids as victims because of the color of their skin. Remarkable. Um uh, 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 Jay, um, Martin Luther King Jr. would just, he would not believe that this is where we've gotten to, where his vision, his dream was that we would not be uh, defined, judged by the con- uh, the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And then the whole other thing of sexualizing our children through the whole LGBTQ agenda. And so Disney's going woke and uh, they may be going broke because I love the fact that the Daily Wire it's been Shapiro, Michael Knowles, uh, Andrew Claven, that whole group over there has decided that they are going to start to compete with uh, Disney, and they're going to bring forward actual family entertainment. And I'm excited about this. This is what capitalism is all about, and I am excited about it, Producer Steve. Well, I, I'm trying hard to remember. I think Coca-Cola was one of the first ones to get up and go hooray for Black Lives Matter. They were right behind them. And, you know, this is, what, two years ago when everything really came undone. But they quickly realized that it was impacting their bottom line, and Coca-Cola quickly sat down. So it, this go woke, go broke, it just seems to be a lesson that nobody's learning. Well, and uh, so we'll have to continue talking about that. And then I did mention in the first hour, and I'll very quickly mention this, and that is that, um, let's see, here we go, that uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, is uh, talking about revoking some of the special privileges that Disney has had regarding land use, and um, basically they've just kind of been their own little sovereign community, and they have not had to adhere to all of these other land use rules and regulations, which we are learning is making it more and more expensive for everyday people to buy homes. But we'll talk with um, Randall O'Toole later about that in the week. But what we're realizing is fewer rules and regulations actually is a good thing. And organizations, businesses, people can thrive and prosper if there's less rules and regulations. So Disney has had less rules and regulations. They've been thriving. DeSantis is saying, hey, maybe we should revoke those. But this piece from the Foundation of Economic Education by Patrick Carroll says, 
actually, instead of revoking that, maybe we should make everything equitable, meaning everybody has to adhere by the same rules and regulations. And if fewer rules and regulations is good for Disney, then maybe it's good for everybody else. And that's what I continue to say, Steve. Uh, Lower taxes, lower rules, lower regulations across the spectrum. Instead, a government likes to pick winners and losers, and we see big business and big government like each other. Let's reduce, make it equitable across the board that uh, fewer rules, regulations, and taxes for everybody allows people to thrive and prosper. The reason PBIs don't like to do that is it, they lose control when they do that, Producer Steve. Well, you keep, you, you keep taking these topics and running them out to the very end thing. I can't debate any of this. You're, you're spot on. Okay. Thank you, Producer Steve. Let's go to break. When we come back, you will not want to miss this conversation regarding Steve Ryder and his personal experience. And now we're seeing legislation. It's common sense legislation, but it is common sense legislation that no one should die alone. We'll be right back. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, on the line with me is Steve Ryder. And he has a, a rather uh, heart-wrenching story. And Steve Ryder, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, we, you were on my show, it'll now be almost two years, won't it? Right around Mother's Day. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it was. And, and this was, uh, basically early on in the pandemic and your wife, Elizabeth was in the hospital and we, we have a podcast that we've done on that and also some of these shows, but explain what was going on, uh, Steve Ryder. Yeah, my wife, my late wife, dealt with health issues nearly our entire marriage. And when, in March of 2020, two years ago, we took things really seriously because she had uh, autoimmune issues and pulmonary hypertension. And so we seriously quarantined. And friends brought over groceries and... I didn't leave the house unless I knew that there were going to be very few people and safe way to get stuff. And so, uh, but really early on, she thought she had COVID. She got tested. It was negative. But they thought it was a false negative because we were, I was also exhibiting some symptoms. And so her doctors were treating her virtually, just over virtual visits. 
And over the course of seven weeks, she was up and down. And then she started to decline the second half of April to the point where on April 29th, she woke up at about three in the morning, throwing up, not even able to keep the Gatorade down. And so we made the determination she needed to go to the hospital. So she went to Memorial and then was transferred here in Colorado Springs, Memorial Hospital. Then was transferred up to University of Colorado Hospital. And over the course of 21 days, she was up and down. And the day before she was set to come home, a blood clot hit her lungs, pulmonary embolism, and she went into cardiac arrest and I wasn't able to make it up to the hospital in time. Well, and they weren't letting and you... They were not letting you or your boys go and visit her during those 21 days, correct? Correct, correct. The day that she was admitted into Memorial Hospital, she was tested for COVID. It was negative. I went to one of the testing sites, got tested, and when my results came back two days later, I believe, I was also negative. And so I thought, hey, sweet, I'll get an exemption because I'm negative, she's negative. Uh, I have my own PPE because she had a hitman line going into her chest. It was pumping in meds 24-7. I changed the bandaging over that, and I reduced her infection rate by more than two-thirds because the nurses there at the University of Colorado Hospital and shoots, they taught me how to change the bandage and how to be, you know, how to, how to, how to be very sanitary and sterile. And <laughs> I followed their their instructions to a T and I did it really well. And I thought, Hey, if, if there's anybody that's going to be given an exemption built to be allowed in, it's going to be me, especially considering my wife was a really unique case, a really complex case. And I had really great relationships with her doctors. So I thought that's not going to be a problem for me to get in. And the answer was always no. I, I, I said, I'll, I'll obey whatever rules you want. If I if I have to be if I'm caught if I have to be quarantined to her room and only allowed out via an escort, I'll do that. And if I'm caught outside her room, I'm gone. If I'm ever caught without a mask, I'm gone. If I'm ever whatever rules, if I could buy my own suit to come in there, like a hazmat suit, I'll I'll do that. Whatever is needed, I will pay out of pocket for that hazmat suit? The answer was always no. And so this is going on. I know you were getting frustrated. And you and the boys would drive up. And uh, I guess, was it Mother's Day that you were out in the parking lot waving at her, talking with her on the cell phone, which that's at least great. But there's there's nothing like that human touch uh you know, from a family member, somebody that loves you. There's no, nothing like that human touch. And I think there's something healing about that. And she was not getting that because they were keeping you and the boys from coming to visit her. In study after study after study shows that human touch aids in the healing process. And conversely, study after study after study after study shows that loneliness and isolation increase mortality. One study I saw said that it increases early mortality by 26%. Another one said it's between 60 and 70%. 
Another one said that the most lonely and isolated elderly patients are 2.5 times more likely to die prematurely than their most socially connected peers. Another study that absolutely blew me away said women going through breast cancer treatment that were lonely and isolated were five times more likely to die prematurely than their most socially connected peers that had someone that went through the treatment with them. Kim, Mother's Day weekend, two days before, I was starting to get some press. I was starting to some, some news reports were being done. Some news articles were being written. I had appeared on your show. And so I went up to the hospital. Actually, we went up to uh, DIA to go pick up my mom. And I weighed mentally in my mind, okay, what's going to be worse? Is it just going to be driving? Because 225 is right by the hospital on the way to DIA for us. And so we meant, I mentally weighed which is going to be the least, least harmful thing for my wife. Driving by twice without making any kind of acknowledgement? Or what if we went up early and we got euros from a euro place off of 245 in Iris and we sat outside the hospital and FaceTimed with her and then at the end waved to her from the window Wait to her from the parking lot, and she would wait to us from the window, and then we went to the, to the airport to go pick up my mom. At the end of that call, Kim, she got really emotional. And whenever she got really emotional, her health would dip. And that night, at about 2 in the morning, I got a call that she was bleeding in one of her lungs. And they were trying to stop the bleeding. And because she had been on blood thinners for all those years, they had to give her a coagulant. And an hour and a half, two and a half hours later, when they called me again and said they thought they isolated it, they said, Steve, we moved her into the ICU. Don't come up. The stress of her being in the hospital on Mother's Day weekend I believe with everything in me, killed my wife. Uh, so what was the progression then time-wise? So that was Mother's Day. So tell us about the progression of time then. And what so so um, she slowly started to recover, and they were scanning her like crazy, looking for blood clots. They found, at one point, they found a large mass in her heart that looked like a blood clot. And so we were praying like crazy that it would dissolve. They were targeting it with some blood thinners. And on May 19th, the doctors said, hey, we're going to send you home either tomorrow or Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. So over the course of the next three days. And so on Tuesday, May 19th, we started having those conversations about what you want, what kind of meals do you want, what friends do you want to come over. And at, uh, at about four in the afternoon, if I remember correctly, we had an 11-minute FaceTime call answering all those kinds of questions. And 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from the hospital, and I thought, 
week they're picking her up. Or I'm, I'm, I'm going up there to pick her up. And instead, the nurse that called said, your wife's gone into cardiac arrest. You need to get up here now. So I jumped in the vehicle, started driving 20 minutes into the drive. I live here in the Falcon area, so east of Colorado Springs, just on the northeast side. About 20 minutes into the drive, once I hit InterQuest and I-25, I called. They said they were still doing chest compressions, and I knew at that point I wasn't going to see my bride again. My boys weren't going to ever see their mother again. <clears throat> and about 20 more minutes into that drive, I called again, and her doctor, her pulmonary doctor, answered the phone and told me she didn't make it. So, Steve Ryder, <clears throat> I remember each time I hear your story, and you were on the show <clears throat> right before and after, and just the emotion is um, even after two years, I mean, it, it always is just raw. It just is. I want to go to break because it's taken time, but there is this piece of legislation that is just common sense that is um, been proposed down at the legislature. So let's talk about that. Uh, my guest is Steve Ryder. We're talking about uh, what happened early on in the reaction to the pandemic where his wife, Elizabeth, died alone. And uh, it's just a heart-wrenching story. And, and it's, it's happened across our nation. And so let's go to break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Steve Ryder. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan, while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and sign up for our newsletter at KimMunson.com and uh, check out uh, our website. There's all kinds of great information there as well. Podcast of the show. Uh, essays as well as uh, um, podcasts. So check all that out at KimMunson.com. On the line with me is Steve Ryder, and we're talking about his experience two years ago, right around two years ago, where his wife, Elizabeth, this was early on in the reaction to the pandemic, uh, died alone. And this happened in nursing homes and hospitals uh, across America, and there's nothing compassionate about it. 
course, it was all under the guise of protecting people because of the COVID-19 Wuhan China virus. Two years now into this, as we look back, first of all, Steve, how are you and the boys doing? Uh, we're doing as we're doing, I'd say, better than I would have expected at this point. Uh, a mentor in this journey, this widower journey, two days after Elizabeth passed, he he offered me a piece of advice, and he said, "Steve, do whatever you can to get your kids into grief counseling." And so, within two weeks of Elizabeth passing, I found a grief counselor. I was meeting with her within a week or two of that. The boys were meeting with her as well. And all three of us, uh, we, we, we agree that the tools that we learned from our grief counselor were gigantic in terms of uh, getting up to this point. I, I, I cannot implore your listeners enough if you know someone with kids that loses a parent get encourage the family to, to to pull their resources if needed in order to get those kids into grief counseling because my mentor said he sees a vast difference between the kids that do and the kids that don't kids that don't alcohol drugs acting out grades promiscuous you name it they go through it and the kids that do it's not that they don't have issues but he said it's just night and day difference because the kids that get it they have the tools to be able to process those massive feelings of loss and grief and trauma that that go along with losing a parent. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing better than than you expected. That's a that's a blessing. Yeah. Let's talk about the journey the last two years, um, because you really, yeah. I, you, I think, I mean, you you were super frustrated. I heard so much emotion in your voice about no one should die alone. And I totally agree with you on that. Uh, Now we're seeing this legislation. It's about two years later. And uh, good for uh, Senator Jerry Sonnenberg and Representative Rod Pelton, both uh, Republicans, uh, for bringing this forward. And I also remember, now as I'm thinking about it, there was some legislation during the pandemic. Maybe you were involved with that about no one should die alone. And there were 17, I think it was 17 Democrats in the Colorado House of Representatives that voted against that. I've forgotten about that till just now, Steve. Does that ring a bell? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and, and that 17 Democrats is correct. That's that's great to pull that from from your memory bank. So in, uh, right after Elizabeth died, uh, Amy Stevens, who used to be uh, in the state house, and used to be my representative here in my district. Um, she was meeting with Tim Geithner, and she was telling Tim about my story and about someone else's story that was currently in the hospital and wasn't allowed any visitation. A mutual friend of Tim's and Amy's. And so Tim reached out to me, and we met at the Capitol just two, I think, weeks after Elizabeth passed, and he said, I want to run some legislation. And I said, perfect, let's do this. And so we worked with a drafter and uh, got some legislation drafted and brought the hospital association in because it was at the very end of the session in 2020. And we wanted to not seem like we were trying to ram something down the hospital association's throat. And right at the very last minute, they undercut us, did a strike through, and 
basically took the bill that was a requirement for hospitals to let visitors in to a suggestion that hospitals review their visitation policies. It was really just a toothless bill. Tim came to me and asked me if I wanted to kill the bill or proceed. And I thought, hey, any kind of publicity that we can get, because the governor had indicated that he was going to meet with the boys and I. And he had indicated that he that if this bill came to his desk, he was going to do a public signing. And so I thought any publicity is good publicity, and so let's just continue to move forward, even though this really does nothing. Maybe this will be some public pressure on the hospitals in order for them to allow visitors in. Even though it was just that this bill had no teeth, there were still 17 Democrats in the House that said, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. No, we don't even know. And so, uh, yeah, so we came back to the table again in 2021 and basically took the bill that was passed in Arkansas, tweaked it for Colorado, and Tim Geithner introduced that in the House. This time, it didn't even make it out of committee. No Democrat came and uh, voted for it. No Democrat proposed any amendments. They just wanted this bill to die. They didn't, and, and the entire time, I asked them, hey, please come to the table. Let's work on some amendments. Let's figure things out because people should be in the hospital alone. I mean, at that point, there were still people in the hospital that were as soon as they were diagnosed with COVID, no visitors whatsoever. Yep, yep. In, in, in fact, there was a third, one of my board members for the Never Alone Project, uh, two months after the Democrats killed that bill, he was in the hospital alone, or his, her, her husband was in the hospital alone. And so, um, yeah, in 2022, we took North Carolina, so we were like, okay, well, let's come to the, come to the table with something even, even more palatable to the Democrats. So let's take the bill that was passed in the purple state of North Carolina, Republican House and Senate, and then a Democrat governor, and let's uh, take that bill and uh, kind of tweak it for Colorado and introduce it in the House. So Tim and I did that. And, but unbeknownst to us, Senator Jerry Sonnenberg took the bill that we ran in 2021, tweaked it a little bit, ran it in the Senate. So we had two bills concurrently going. In the House, two weeks ago, the Democrats killed our bill again. And again, they said, yes, this is something that is important we need to be talking about. And I actually walked up to a couple of them and I said, you've seen my testimony the last three consecutive sessions. Why in the hell haven't you come to the table? Now is the time to come to the table, please, 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 please. And a couple of them said, "Yeah, let's 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 talk about this during during uh, let's let's put together ducks in a row in the fall and before uh, the session starts." But meanwhile, so in the Senate, in the Senate, the Democrats sent that bill, SB twenty two oh fifty three over to the kill committee. So I wasn't expecting anything but when, when it, as soon as I found out that it was sent to the kill committee, but we had uh, probably, I'd say, a dozen people that testified, three doctors that testified, and amazingly enough, Senator Julie Gonzalez, God bless her, Democrat, the chair of the committee, 
she was visibly moved by all the testimony. And her kid, and, and during her closing comments, she said, "My, this is something I went through as well. My kid brother in his early 30s had a stroke right at the beginning of COVID. I wasn't even allowed to cross state lines into New Mexico to see him. And no family was allowed there in the hospital. I think this is something that needs, I have a lot of questions, but I think this is something that needs to be heard on the Senate floor. And so she laid up the bill, then she laid it up again, then finally voted and voted, yes, let's take this thing to the floor. Tom, Jerry Sonder was working really closely, tried to get some amendments uh, proposed in order to, uh, you know, try and get it through the Senate. And amazingly enough, just over a week ago, uh, a week ago this last Friday, the Democrats voted, or the, the Senate voted, and passed it, and now it's on to the House. And amazingly, amazingly, uh, two, uh, two of the top three Democrats in the Senate during the voice rule, um, the second reading, they they said, I was a no until these amendments came through, and now I'm a yes. And that brought over 12 of the 20 Democrats that voted for this bill. So it was just 12 to 8 Democrats, and only two Republicans voted no against it. Hmm. Why would anybody vote no against this? <laughs> They're in the pocket of the hospital association. The hospital association has come out hard against this. Okay. They've come out so hard against it, against this because they don't, they don't want they don't want anyone telling them what they have to do. They feel they're already overregulated, and I would, you know, I, I would tend to agree on that. But here's the thing: if you make colossal mistakes like they have, including this year, Kim. You make colossal mistakes like they have, and you're so myopically focused on fighting a virus and controlling infection while letting the individual die on the vine, or even just die away from the vine, uh, there, there needs to be something that's done. I mean, Kim, the two most horrific stories that I have heard this entire two years since this thing started have happened in the last four months. One was really? a young couple in Ohio. Yes, yes. One is a young couple in Ohio. Uh, she's 26 weeks pregnant. She goes full on eclampsia. Not preeclampsia, eclampsia. Her whole body's shutting down. They do an emergency C-section, pull this micro preemie baby boy out. Take him to the NICU. Mom goes to the ICU, given a 5% chance to live. They go to the dad, the husband, and they say, you get a choice. You can either go with your baby, you can go with your wife, you can't go between the two for the next month. What do you want to do? Oh, my gosh. He thought about it for a second. He thought about it for a second. He's like, I'm going to go with my baby. Can I talk to my wife one more time? No. Can I talk to her through the glass in the ICU? No. Can I pass her a note? The answer was still no. 
Did she survive? Yes. Amazingly. Um, amazingly. Amazingly, she did. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Steve Ryder, we're out of time. What's the final thought you want to leave with our listeners? And let's stay in touch on this to watch this bill and also see who's the compassionate people that vote for this and who are the ones that capitulate to the hospital industrial complex. So uh, what's your final thought on this? (laughs) Yeah, so I'd I'd implore your listeners to go to Never Alone Pandemic. I created a nonprofit called the Never Alone Project. The website is neveralonepandemic.org. Sign up for the email, and as soon as this bill is scheduled in the House Health and Health and Insurance Committee, then uh, we will let people know we, we need we need so many people to show up. We need people that are in the medical field. We need people that are afraid of going to the hospital. We need people that have gone through some sort of a low situation. We need people who weren't able to say goodbye to their loved ones. We need people who are concerned about this issue. We need, we need dozens of people to show up and, and show the Democrats that this movement is continuing to grow and basically pressure them into voting yes on this bill that has a few holes, but it's a start. And, and it's something Step in the that, right direction. that will help to... It's definitely a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Steve Ryder, it's so great to hear from you. Thank you so much, and you'll keep us in the loop on that. We're going to go to break. When we come back, I want to hear from you. What's on your radar? 303-477-5600. 303-477-5600. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, you can give us a call now. This is where I want to hear from you. What's on your radar? 303-477-5600. 303-477-5600. It is a big week. Tomorrow, noon to 3 p.m., is the Colorado Election Truth Rally or event, and it's at the Capitol, 12 to 3 in the afternoon. A great list of speakers, and I uh, would love to have you join us. I get to be the MC for that. And then also a great event this uh, Saturday night, and that is the uh, USMC Memorial Foundation, their dinner at the Denver Country Club. And uh, General John Allen is the keynote speaker. 
And there is still, I think, a $5,000 table left for a sponsor. And you get all kinds of great binnies with that. Uh, so for more information on that, it's info at USMCMemorialFoundation.org. It is also the Republican State Assembly down in Colorado Springs Friday and Saturday. And uh, so that's a really big deal. We'll see who makes it through assembly to be on the primary ballot. And, of course, the primary election will be at the end of June. And we've got so many great candidates that are stepping forward, uh, everyday people who uh, really realize that our American idea is, um, is on the ropes. And so many great people that are stepping forward. Steve, you and I in our pre-call were talking a little bit about I said there just seems to be this stress, this continual attack on everyday people, our attack on our way of life. And I, I was thinking about all these veterans that I interview and just that that constant having to be wary of what's going on. And I know that, that some people just are not paying attention, but that's going to be a problem as well. We need to be paying attention. But there seems like there's this constant assault on everyday people, Steve. Well, you know, especially on a Monday, uh, you know, on our pre-call, you'll say, well, what's on your radar? And my response usually is I, I tend to pull back and isolate a little bit over the weekend. Not that I really want to, but that fatigue. And I know that there's a lot of people that fatigue, you know, they they withdraw seven days a week. But uh, right. it's it's and then you're kind of wondering, OK, how much of it? OK, we use the. Uh, uh, Ukraine situation. It's like, they're, okay, there's no doubt that it's happening. Uh, we're not you know, going to even debate that. But sometimes the way the American media covers it, you're thinking, okay, is there something else they're trying to distract from? Well, and I've thought a lot, yes, we, we do acknowledge that Ukraine, uh, th- this is all occurring. But as I'm watching this, and we look at the government-run media that we saw lied to us all the way through the whole COVID thing. So what is, what's the end game here with this constant, constant, constant barrage of Ukraine? And uh, there just seems like there's something else going on there, Producer Steve. Well, okay, uh, you, you kind of said at a definitive t- uh, point in time there, lying to us since COVID. I go back even further than that. I mean, uh, 25 years, they started warping things, and a lot of people were kind of picking up on that. And then it evolved or devolved into outright lying. Well, and you could even go back to uh, Walter Cronkite in the Vietnam War. Um, my understanding is later on in the lo- in his life that, you know what, I better be careful. I, I, should, uh, I should research that. This is somewhat hearsay, is that... Um, there's there was just acknowledgement by some of the newscasters that they did in fact uh instead of reporting the news that they actually became more uh, opinionated in that which moved the uh, opinions of the american people and so we're seeing this manipulation and and with us we're doing our best to bring forth these issues and give you honest commentary on it and so that you know that and you know that it's opinion if we get something wrong, we work really hard. The team works really hard to get it right as well. But um, this clouding of this, now it is government-run media. And and I'm grateful the veil is coming off on this is what it really is. But, my friends, we have to search for truth and clarity. We have to use our brains. 
I said recently to somebody, we have to use our thinking caps. And it was a young person. He's like, I'd never heard the term thinking cap. Did you, oh did my. you hear that all the time when you were a kid? Put your thinking cap on. Oh my. Common sense. Think we're, about that. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> we are dating ourselves. But we have to be, you know, asking why. And that's this whole thing with Ukraine. <clears throat> you know, Ukraine was a big laundromat for laundering money for the Democrat Party. Uh, and we're starting to <clears throat> hear more about Hunter Biden's uh, laptop. And where is media trying to connect the dots on this? So I'm not sure that either side is necessarily pristine on this. But but the fact that the the government-run media is trying to whip people up regarding this issue, and you'll look at it, and that's all you see when there's all of this other stuff happening with Biden that, that wants to get rid of, um, what is it? Is it the Title 45? I can't Title remember. Title 42. Title 42, which that is going to open up the southern border even more. And so there's all of these things that are occurring that is really hurting America. Uh, the way the Biden administration is compromising our military through their the woke uh, policies of CRT and LGBTQ, which is weakening our military, which is weakening the possibility of standing against predators that uh, might not have the best interests of the American people in in place. Uh, and, and in a way, I guess I, I'm now connecting the dots to predators, uh, criminals. We had John Lott on in, in the first hour talking about Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court, Judge Jackson, that she's been um, soft on sentencing of uh, criminals, particularly, uh, he mentioned, child pornography. So so how is it that, that it seems like the American people are the ones that are being kind of played by the media and by these politicians, Steve? Well, I got a great example, and it has to do with Hunter Biden's laptop, which was treated as a non-event in the fall of 2020. And then the election comes, the election goes, and you know we, we've gone through the last how many months since the election. And in the last two weeks, all of a sudden, the New York Times and the Washington Post are running with the story about Hunter Biden's laptop. So last week, I, I, hopefully I'm on the right side of this. You want to start asking yourself you'll you'll see something put out in front of you and you ask yourself why my first thought was and this is early last week all right those who are controlling the democratic party uh the left extreme leftists basically i think they finally got it through their heads they don't want joe biden to run again so now they're going to resurrect hunter biden's laptop and let it become more public than than it has before because there were people after the 2020 election when they were asked on the street, well, what are your thoughts about Joe, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and all the, uh, the garbage that's on it regarding his activities? And they didn't know anything about it because the press totally made it a non-entity. So can we see how they're manipulating the American machine, the politics involved? I, I can see it. And, they, and, and then... Not to pat myself on the back, but either Glenn Beck or the guys who took over for Rush Limbaugh were answering my question l late last week as to why all of a sudden his laptop was in the news. And what what was their conclusion? 
they don't want Biden to run again. So they need to start tearing him down. Uh, so obviously they are, as we put our thinking caps on, is they are now uh, compromising Biden. And so what is the game plan? Is it that he won't run again? I mean, I, I'm not sure that he's capable of running again. So is it actually maybe to do something before the next election? Because uh, as we see, the policies, as people are understanding what this actually is doing, that's where we hear the, the term the red wave. I don't want to get too confident on that because we have all of these uh, election integrity challenges that we see are coming forward in these different states. So we certainly don't want to get too confident because those that have gained power like this are not going to want to give it up easily. And so that is why it's going to take each and every one of us. When I say that we were made for this moment, we really were, we really are made for this moment. Don't know what it looks like exactly, but we are supposed to go out and do every day what we can. And we must protect our families. We must protect these children here in America and protect the children throughout the world. Uh, as we look at this, they certainly are, um, are under attack through the policies of CRT or the iterations thereof uh, through sexualizing our children. It is rather remarkable, but the, the veil is coming off. People are paying attention. They're stepping forward, but we each have a duty to do what we can to pass something great on to the next generation. It's the American, it's the American idea. Steve, what's your final thoughts on all this? Well, I think we, whether it's CRT or like uh, the bill that was recently passed in Florida, what we are pushing for is the deliberate, or pushing against, is the deliberate warping of kids' minds at two, an age that's much too early. Let them learn a little bit about the fundamentals of life and, you know, let them save this kind of stuff for, you know, their more later teen years, early adult <laughs> years, not this artificial warping the way they insist on doing it. Well, and Steve, um, very quickly, I was talking with somebody about this the other day. This sex education is not just the birds and the bees kind of stuff. There's stuff that's being taught to kids that I'm not sure. I mean, certainly as adults, you can choose that. But I, my dad always said, be careful what you, uh, what you look at because it's it's very difficult to get images out of your out of your brain. So anyway, we're out of time. Uh, I so appreciate each and every one of you joining us. And, and our quote for the end of the show is by John Wooden, the amazing uh, UCLA coach. And he said, when you improve a little each day, eventually big things occur. When you improve conditioning a little each day, eventually you have a big improvement in conditioning. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but eventually a big gain is made. So don't look for the big, quick improvement. Seek the small improvement one day at a time. That's the only way it happens. And when it happens, it lasts. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals. And like Superman stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.